It's the first Monday of the month, and we're handing the show over to your questions. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 434. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. And once a month, we open up the show to respond to questions that have come in from you, our community. You can submit a question for consideration at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And I am joined this month, as I am almost every month, by Bonnie Stahoviak, who will help us tackle some of these questions. Hello, Bonnie. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me back. I'm glad to have you back, I think, because you have a bone to pick with me, don't you? Oh, I didn't know I got to pick the bone right now. Well, it's I'm relevant. ready. It's all pent up inside me, but I, I didn't know I was going to do it right now. Well, it's relevant to the show. I mean, yes. if you had a bone to pick with me about dinner, for example, that probably isn't appropriate, but I say go for it. Well, I listened to your episode with Near Ale, and I loved it. I think he's phenomenal, and I thought you were phenomenal in getting him to express his phenomenalness. How's that for <laughs> Using the same word 13 times in the same sentence. I was concerned, though, that many listeners may have easily misconstrued something you said. Uh-huh. Actually, something you repeated throughout much of your conversation with them. And that is you, you, to me, it seemed, could have easily given people the impression that you do not use a task list. In fact, that you really don't even like them very much at all. I would I would even go so far as to say despise the task list. And I know that that's not at all true. Yeah. You were surprised when I brought that up with you, but I just thought if someone isn't familiar with holistically how you manage your life, that they would really miss out that you, you do actually rely very heavily on one just not to schedule individual days. Yes, which is the distinction. And I'm glad you're bringing this up because if I left that impression, I certainly didn't intend to. And Bonnie's referring to episode 431, align your calendar to what matters. And Nir and I talked about running our day off our calendar. So to your point, I do use a task list. The distinction I was attempting to make in that episode is that I don't run my day off the task list. So instead of showing up for the workday and pulling out the task list and deciding what I'll do first, I look at the calendar and I look at what's on my calendar for the day. And at some point during that day, hopefully, (laughs) I have block time to handle tasks. And that's when I then go to the task list. Although in reality, I often only do that every other day just because I don't put a lot of things that if there's something that has to be done, it goes on the calendar because otherwise I'm making decisions in the moment. So thanks for bringing this up. And I guess that distinction didn't come across. So in your calendar, you have a block of time. I, I don't see you ever putting tasks in, I, literally the word tasks in there. You're putting a task in there that came from your task list at some point in the past. Yeah. You went in there and you looked at all the tasks and you thought, well, that's really important to get to this week and then start to actually... In my case, I can drag them from my electronic task list and drag them over to my calendar so that rather than blocking time for tasks in general, I see your calendar. So I know you're blocking time for a specific task that you have curated from your task list. Right. And I think that the part of this may be splitting hairs on just terminology too. I have my like master plan for what I'm doing over 12 weeks, and then I have my weekly The things that have to happen, like I write the weekly leadership guide every week for our audience, that goes in 
the calendar somewhere, but it never actually gets on my task list per se, because I have a template that I pull up that document once a week when I'm planning my week. And I'm like, okay, these are things I need to do every week. So that just gets planned out on the calendar. For me, the task things tend to be like administrative stuff, one-off kind of things that don't fit anywhere else, or it doesn't make sense to block a half hour or an hour for. They're not ongoing things that happen every other week or every week or at some right, particular time. Right. right. I don't generally use the task list for that because I found that to be, for me at least, that doesn't work very well of making decisions about when I should do those things, which mm-hmm. if I sit down in advance the week before or the Monday morning or Sunday night, whatever, and plan out, okay, the weekly leadership guide needs to be written some point this week. What's the best time to do that this week based on everything else that's happened in my schedule? And then that gets put on the calendar. So it never makes it on the task list in the first place. Yeah. I like to have things on the task list just so I can make sure, but you're able to structure your weeks to look more similar to other weeks than I am at my work. I've got meetings that happen lots of different times and I'm not able to have quite as predictable of a schedule as you do, even though I know you also have stuff that is in flex. Yeah. yeah. I say as we as we have just repiped our house and have holes all over our house and you've got plumbers coming and inspectors coming and, and you would not really define your life as very, you know, there, there's literally a bag next to me covering <laughs> a microphone. <laughs> a Ziploc baggie. <laughs> to keep the dust from the drywall off of it. And actually, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned this too, because this is why I moved away from having an ideal week template. And I know a lot of people use the ideal week template. And we've talked about on the show of like, have an ideal week. What do you typically do on Mondays? What do you typically do on Tuesdays? I just found that to be more maddening than anything else for me. Our schedule changes so much as a family and professionally for me that that's why I go to the project list every week and then populate things for each week. Every week, it's different times that I'm doing things. So while I'm doing many of the same things, I am often doing them at different times because context is changing around me all the time. So so there you go. Hopefully, there's something useful in there to be helpful to folks as you're doing your planning ongoing. So let's jump in and see if we can tackle some questions here, Bonnie. The first one is from Jules. Jules writes, how transparent is too transparent when it comes to declaring the pursuit of my ideal career with my boss. My goal is to obtain a director level and ultimately an executive level role. I've heard that it's best to work hard and let your actions and outcomes speak for themselves. Other sources say to ask for what you want and boldly declare your ambition. When my boss asks what my career goals are, it feels boastful to say I'm pursuing C-suite opportunities, but I am relentlessly chasing this dream. I'm currently a mid-level manager. We are a highly matrixed organization and relatively flat overall. Opportunities within our group are often designed specifically for long-term employees and not opened up for public applications since there are no vacancies in the near future. My boss has said I have unlimited potential on more than one occasion, but that I'm needed in my current role for now. It has been eight years. I enjoy the role, but I'm ready to further challenge myself. I definitely have a fear of missing out. Fear that if I leave, I could miss out on an amazing customized opportunity and also fear that if I stay, I could miss out on a life-changing pivot. I have been in this industry for 20 years. I worry that I'm restricting my opportunities by staying put and keeping quiet. I'm very curious, what might you and Bonnie recommend? How much should I share with my boss about what I'm pursuing or struggling with? 
Jules, thanks for reaching out with this question. As you may know, I'm a student of Dale Carnegie, and I love his book, How to Stop Boring and Start Living. And the first chapter of that book is very much focused around the what's the worst that could happen. When I pulled up your question yesterday, and I was thinking about it through that lens of thinking about where you've come and what your feedback you've already received of what's the worst that could happen in this situation. And I think as I played this out from what we know from what you've told us, the worst that would happen is that you go down this path where nothing changes. And you have this wonderful heart and this desire to grow your career and to move on to a next opportunity. And it sounds like it's not apparent to you and it may not be apparent to your organization if they really understand that or appreciate that or know that. And so I wonder what you would have to lose by engaging in a bit of that conversation. And I think that there's a whole bunch of things that could come out of that. My sense is because your boss has said you have unlimited potential, the chances that you talk about furthering your career and moving on to the next level and your boss coming back and saying, oh my gosh, no, we would never consider you. I think, I, I think that's unlikely based on the context of how you've presented this. What may be more likely as a worst case scenario is that you share that and they don't do anything. The opportunities don't open up. Your boss doesn't look for ways to support your further career development. And I still think that's a good outcome for you because you know more than you do today. You know how your organization will or will not support you. And if you know they wouldn't support you, then you get to choose what you would do next. And I think there's also many wonderful things that could potentially come out of that. So my invitation to you, Jules, would be to create movement is whether that means talking with your boss about your plans maybe a little bit more than you have already, or maybe talking to others in the organization. I also think that there's an opportunity for you, if you haven't already, we don't know, of taking some time to think through what have the career paths been like for others in the organization, for those who have advanced, for those who have moved into those executive level roles. What has their career path looked like? What have they done to advance their careers? And if you don't have a sense of that, I think if you're able to get in community with those folks, reach out, build some relationships with those folks, I think that'd be really useful to know. And that would, I think, then open up the next step for you. It's one of the things I find myself saying to folks all the time of uh, just take that next step and then you get more information that you could then do something else with. Dave recently released an audio course for the Academy, which I understand Dave is now tucked behind the free login for the Coaching for Leaders website. It is. And in one of the episodes, he talked about asking the why question, but doing it over and over and over again until we get to something a little bit deeper. So I want to ask you right now, why do you want to be a director and eventually in that C-suite? And then when you give me your answer, I want to say, and why do you want that? And then when you give me the next answer, I want to say, and why do you want that? I, I need to hear a little bit deeper because I feel like I don't have enough information when someone is focusing what seems to be really heavily on a position title. And there's probably something deeper there. And and, and if there's not, if that if that is it, you you go through and you wrestle through and you ask those why questions and it really, there's nothing deeper. That's That's what you want. And, and and you've got some reasons behind it, and that's what you're going after, and, and there's nothing more to explore, then I would encourage you to start being able to articulate it less about 
what that means to you and more about what that would mean to the organization at which you worked. So being able to say, instead of, I want to get to that level, I, 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 but that you could have this kind of an impact. I want to be able to have a bigger impact so that I can, you know, this vision that I have, I'd, I'd be able to influence more people in the organization. And this is what that would mean. So I'm, I'm just being able to shift where it's a little bit less, which of course, we all have those things a little bit less about what it means to you and a little bit more about what it could mean to the organization. And my little tidbit, which is similar to what Dave had mentioned, but as someone who spent, I, I tend to spend long periods of time at organizations. If a super high priority is the next title up, or a super higher priority is a lot more money. In general, you need to go somewhere else. I mean, it's just you become complacent when you stay somewhere too long. And so does the company become more complacent. And so there's not that sense of urgency of kind of looking for what could be better on the outside. It's it's an unfortunate kind of human dynamic. But if that does ultimately mean what is most important to you, you probably do need to look at leaving and scour the job search sites for where that next level up is and and being sure you're a part of professional organizations where you can be in relationship with people outside your company that are at that next level up. Well, there you go, Jules. Hope that's helpful to you. Both the big picture from Bonnie and the tactical things from my end. Let us know what's useful to you and what you decide to do. We'd love to hear. Our uh, next question here is from Megan. Megan wrote in and said, what can you do when your leader has mentally checked out and you receive little direction, interest, or support from them. And she says, I manage eight direct reports, and I am based in a different location due to the nature of the industry. Uh, We usually speak once a week, but with no real agenda or valid content to the conversation. I'm guessing the once a week, Bonnie, is the conversation with the manager who's checked out. I would love to know more about your situation because it's I expected a different frequency that you would be meeting with someone who was completely checked out. Once a week is pretty pretty often to be meeting with someone, at least from my context. So I was surprised by that. I would try to drive those meetings a little bit more. The person that I report to has a very different personality than I do. And so I'll generally bring more action-oriented types of agenda items, and that would not be his nature. And thank goodness it isn't his nature, by the way, because I'm super action-oriented. And it would drive me nuts if somebody else was equally the same. And then I'd feel like, what, you know, I want to have more autonomy. I, I think back often to Daniel Pink's book called Drive and the things that help motivate us as people. And autonomy is just such a thing for me. So I'm actually grateful that the person I report to, I feel like he trusts me enough to have that sense of direction myself and to be able to do that. So I drive those conversations more. I identify more action-oriented things. And he does a wonderful job of helping to slow me down some time and just just spend some more moments in relationship with him and just sharing what's going on in our lives. And as Dave will tell us, we don't need to constantly be going at the speed of light. So Dave also does that for me in our marriage. (laughs) And I also would suggest to you, similar to what I suggested on the last question, to be sure that you're getting outside your organization, being a part of professional organizations or in volunteer capacities, We can put so much pressure in our minds on the person we report to and expect them to be not even human, you know, above human, like like that they have some sort of superpowers that, that we have our expectations really too high sometimes. They are just people. And when we find ourselves getting kind of stuck where that one person that we report to becomes overly big in our minds, what we focus on gets our attention 
what we focus on influences how we feel. And so if we do that too much at the expense of the richness of our curiosity of what's happening outside the organization, both in terms of what we can learn professionally, and also what we can learn and just the richness of volunteering and giving back in our community. One other quick resource, which I will continue to mention on this show, Dave, is The Empowered Manager by Peter Block. Pick up that book if you don't already have it, because it talks about these relationships with the person we report to, with our peers, with the people who report to us, and the healthiest way to have those, but then also what to do when it's not so healthy and some advice there. It's the best advice I've seen for situations where it's less than healthy. Megan, I'd add that if you truly are not getting a lot of engagement or direction from your boss, and to Bonnie's point, once a week is pretty often to be getting a connection, but if there's not anything coming out of those conversations, then start solving problems. You decide, like Bonnie does in her work, of taking the lead and finding where the problems are in the organization, creating the path forward for results and for action, and moving on it. And I think the thing that is the other piece to be mindful of when you do that is to leave breadcrumbs along the way. I think where sometimes people get themselves in trouble is they're in a situation like yours where they have a manager who's not very engaged or present for whatever reason, and they go off and they start doing a whole bunch of stuff that they think's good, and then all of a sudden there's something that doesn't quite work out, and the manager goes, whoa, 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 what are you doing spending all this time and energy doing these things we haven't talked about? So if you do that and you take that path forward to be a little more assertive in the work and what needs to happen in the organization for the benefit of the organization, the customers, let people know what you're doing. Send a weekly update to your boss. If it's not happening in the meeting, send a weekly Friday email that says, hey, here's the three or four things that I did this week our team moved on, just wanted to keep you in the loop. And if you do that, then you're moving forward, you're creating action for the organization, but you're also keeping people informed on what you're doing and why you're doing it. So hope that's helpful to you, Megan, on some next steps. This next question is from Mason. I manage a customer experience team and recently... In a meeting with my managers, we covered a really expansive topic, what the future of our team should be. When I run meetings or discussions with clear decisions that need to be made, I can drive them okay. But I found myself really struggling to keep the conversation moving forward with purpose. The intent of the conversation was to discuss, not necessarily to decide, but even then I struggled to recognize when and how to get things back on track or know when to consciously move the conversation to a different topic and reset. My managers kept looking at me to guide them, and I ended up just rambling more to talk my way out of a place of indecision and paralysis. I was really disappointed in having run an ineffective meeting. Do you have a podcast that comes to mind or even a book that would provide me with tactical tips, better yet, a framework for how to guide complex discussions toward useful outcomes? Well, Mason, thank you for this question. And Mason, good for you on creating the space to have this conversation and getting people together to talk about what the future of the team should be. So many leaders don't take the time to do that. And the fact that you have taken the time to do that, that you've reflected on it, that you're writing in with this question, just good for you for doing that. And you learned a bunch of things along the way. You learned what worked and you learned some things that didn't work. And so when I think about your question, I, I just think about the analogy of two very different roles. I'm thinking about going to the airport 
and showing up and being a pilot or showing up and being the air traffic controller. Those are really different jobs, right? The pilot of an airplane is is charged with uh, fulfilling the vision of getting from one place to another and tactically doing all the things that need to happen in order for that to become a reality. And the air traffic controller is in a very different place doing a very different job to make sure that everyone gets to where they need to go safely and doesn't run into each other and creates space and creates margin. Space is the word that air traffic controllers are thinking about all the time. I say that in the context of this question you've sent us in that what you've described, you running your regular meetings and then stepping in as a facilitator in this case to get ideas going about what the future should be. Those are very different skill sets. It's as different as being a pilot and an air traffic controller. And I do think that there are some really amazing people out there who are really able to do both of those well and able to step into the role of being a leader of a meeting and a leader of an organization and able to step back when they need to and to facilitate a meeting. But I think it's really hard to do both, and it's certainly hard to do both at the same time. And so all that to say, Mason, is yes, I have some suggestions on ways you can get better, but also the invitation to you that you don't have to be good at this. And and having gone through training for years of being a facilitator, I still find myself making mistakes as a facilitator. It is very different than leading in a traditional capacity. And so there's other ways to do this. One of them is to have someone potentially in your organization who is skilled as a facilitator to allow you to be part of the conversation and not necessarily to be the person who's trying to facilitate the conversation. Maybe there's someone on your team, maybe even bring in someone externally to do it. You also may work to get better at this yourself, but I just wanted to broaden the question here a bit of how you think about this of you don't necessarily have to get better at this specific skill. Now, if you want to, here's a couple of resources that would be good starting points for you. One of them is an article that Bonnie and I put together a while back on 11 ways to facilitate great conversations. Some of the key skill sets that'd be helpful to you if and when you do find yourself in the role as facilitator. And most of us do find ourselves at least in that role occasionally. And some of these principles will be helpful to you. The other resource that I'd point you toward, Mason, is the episode that Tom Henschel and I did a while back on how to lead an offsite. And one of the conversations we had in that episode was if you are leading an offsite as leader and having a more strategic conversation, when does it make sense for you to have that conversation and facilitate that yourself? When does it make sense to have someone else step into that? And what are the kinds of things you'd want to think about of making one decision or the other on that? It's episode 377, and I'll link to it in the notes because I think that'd be a helpful place for you to consider what that looks like as well. You had mentioned that the topic of your meeting was what the future of our team should be. And what was difficult for me to tell is if conversations have gone on already about what the future of the organization is, is is there already a framework for where the organization is heading? And is there some clarity around that? And then you're trying to adapt your team in order to align with that vision for the company? Or were you attempting to have a conversation more generally speaking without having any kind of framework? To me, this would be a really difficult conversation to participate in because I'd be asking the question of, well, the future of our team should align with the future of where we're headed as an organization. So I don't know how to provide value to that conversation without those other frameworks having been discussed and documented and articulated already. So that could have been where some of the challenge came in. The other thing I thought was interesting in reading your question was just this difference between discussing things 
and deciding things. And my intuition started to wonder if you feel a lot more comfortable deciding things and specifically you being the one to decide them and that that being how you perceive of the importance of your role and the contributions you can make. And then was it perhaps uncomfortable for you to just leave things out there and not have those decisions made and specifically not have them be made by you? So I just loved reading your your message. I loved how transparent you were and vulnerable in saying you were disappointed that you could step outside yourself and recognize that was not your finest moment. I I laugh because I have that happen with Dave all the time where you know, we need to be able to step outside ourselves and go, yeah, that that definitely was not the best moment that I've ever had. Keep our sense of humor, keep our perspective, but keep driving ourselves forward to be getting better at what it is we do. And I love that you did that in this question. And I think it's the most important thing you wrote to us. It wasn't a question. I just, I hope you keep doing that. That is how you're going to continue to grow and become an even better leader. So thank you for letting us be some small part of that. Our next question is from Julie. Julie wrote in and said, our organization is undergoing a lot of change. We have a new CEO that's brought quite a new direction to the organization. We're in the process of reorganizing the structure to support that change. And she says, as I moved to the executive team last year, as many people, I inherited part of the team. And some of them were hired to do different things than what is now expected of them and will be expected in the future. I'm not convinced that they're the right people to take the work forward, but I struggle assessing this objectively. They try really hard and do some things really well and deliver on those, but overall, I'm not convinced that they can grow into the new roles. I also am getting some mixed feedback from colleagues and peers. How can I assess whether they are in the right place and assess whether they have the potential to grow into their new roles? A couple of resources that may be helpful to you as you're in this process I am a big fan of the StrengthsFinder instrument, and Dave has had some episodes about StrengthsFinder in the past that he can point us to in the show notes. I find that as quickly as organizations change, it's hard to have a complete redo of any sort of organizational structure without starting with strengths. So so as an example, if I were to take on a team and they were similar to, as you described, perhaps not all able to perform the future or current needs in roles, I wouldn't instantly just think, and and you didn't say this, but but it would be unwise, I think, to just be thinking, all right, well, we'll get rid of all those folks, and then we'll just go find some new ones, because that's, I mean, they, they do have some tacit knowledge that tacit is as in undocumented, unwritten down, just the, the, the knowledge that they have about the organization and the people and the processes that is valuable. And so I want to discover as much as I can about their strengths and what are all the assets that are available to us in solving this problem before I ever get back to the org chart and what, what that might look like. Because I might find that that org chart, if it were transformed, could actually capitalize on everyone's strengths and not have to be thinking about getting rid of people or having them move on to other opportunities and instead really being able to leverage the strengths. And there's a big thing here. The strengths finder is not a gauge, though, for people's thoughts about working at the organization. I'm assuming here that in my scenario, people would need to be committed to the organization and excited to be there, or at least have the potential under the right circumstances to be excited about what it is they do and the contributions that they can make. So that's one of the resources I would start with is 
really making sure I understand the strengths finder and specifically even then being able to map the members of the team onto one of their tools where you can see, oh, here's the four different broad categories of the types of strengths. And is this organization misaligned in some ways? For example, do we have too few of people who have strengths, for example, in the relationship category. And we really see the disparity in that when we map them out using their tool. Another resource I'd like to recommend to you is the flowchart that has been mentioned many times on the show from Mager and Pipe. And what it is, is when someone's not performing their job. So you said, what if they're unable to perform their job? And it walks you through in a really very simple, but but wise way to say, you know, have you thought about each one of these things? So many times people jump to training or they jump so fast, to, well, it's just not going to work out. But there are a lot of things in between that we should be considering. And I like the way as a leader, it helps me walk through those considerations. One of the words Bonnie mentioned a moment ago was mapping. And when I think about what you said, Bonnie, and what you're asking here, Julie, some of your question contextually, you know, you're alluding to kind of, I have a sense of things and maybe getting some feedback and you're not really quite sure yet what's next. And I think one thing you could do objectively to start to think about mapping is actually get some things down on paper. So first and foremost, what are the roles you need in this new environment? And now with this new CEO and the path forward, what did the job descriptions look like for that new reality? Have those been updated? If they haven't, I think that's a wonderful place to start is to start thinking about what are the key roles that you need to fill and setting aside who's in the organization right now of just sitting down and thinking, what are the roles we need for this new future? And you do that you know, independently of who's in the organization. And then once you've done that, here's an exercise you could go through is you could take one of those key positions that you know is going to be really important for the organization going forward. And you could take the key competencies that are going to be part of that job description. You could actually put those on an Excel document. You know, if there's 10 competencies, you know, put them on 10 rows. And then on the columns, you put the names of the people that are on your team. And then under each person and each competency, you have an A, B, or C rating. And the A rating is on this competency, this person could step in and do this pretty well right now without a lot of supervision or development. A B competency would be this person has the potential to develop into this, but they're not ready today. And then a C rating would be this person isn't ready to do this and probably is not going to have the skill set to develop into this. And if you did that for some of the key job descriptions, that would give you a pretty good sense of where you're starting from, from a little bit more of an objective standpoint of who do you have today? What are the jobs and the competencies that are going to be important for today and tomorrow? And who maps where? And then you can start to make some more, in addition to the subjective feelings you're having, you can start to objectively think about, okay, who do I need to develop in what places? Who's the right fit going forward? If there are places where there's not a fit, what do we do then on next steps? But it gives you a path forward where you begin to take the next step to make decisions. All of the resources we mentioned will be captured in the show notes. There's always a link to those in the weekly leadership guide. So check that out if you'd like to dive in more. In addition, there will be several related episodes I'll highlight in this week's guide that if today's conversation was useful to you, you may want to dive in further on. One of them is episode 293 
How Teams Use StrengthsFinder Results with Lisa Cummings. She is one of the leading experts on StrengthsFinder and how teams can leverage that in organizations. Bonnie was talking about StrengthsFinder a bit earlier, and if you really want to dive in on that in more detail and get beyond just the we've taken the assessment and we know what our talents are and how to actually help that to be useful as far as action in the organization. Episode 293 is a great place to start. And uh, Lisa has been on the show a couple times and we'll be back again soon with even more for us on StrengthsFinder. Also, I'd recommend episode 328, how to deal with opponents and adversaries. Bonnie mentioned earlier the work of Peter Block. He's just done marvelous work for leaders around organizational politics and culture within organizations. In particular, episode 328 is a great conversation with him on when you are running into tough situations and those you don't agree with in the organization, how do you handle that with the opponents and adversaries that are out there? Episode 328 is a starting point to answer that question and most importantly, some next steps you can take in order to do that well. I also mentioned earlier episode 377, how to lead an offsite with Tom Henschel. Lots of details there if you, like Mason, are in the process of leading some more strategic conversations with your team and thinking about how you do that yourself or maybe how you bring in others to support you on that. Episode 377 will be a great place to start. And then finally, we mentioned up front the episode with Nir Eyal recently, Align Your Calendar to What Matters. That's where we talk so much about calendars versus task lists. That's episode 431. If you missed that, if that conversation was interesting, I think you'll find even more details there. All of those episodes available to you on the coachingforleaders.com website. And if you haven't already, set up your free membership just by going over to Coaching for leaders.com. It's going to give you access to the entire episode library since 2011, searchable by topic so you can track down exactly what you're looking for. And if you're struggling with something right now, that's a great place to start is that episode library. All of my book notes are there, all of our member casts, my own personal library. And Bonnie mentioned the course that I recently aired on how to create your personal vision. That is also archived in the free membership. You can click on courses, There's two courses there as well as the 10 ways to empower the people you lead with an overview of everything we've done on the show over the last eight years. So you can dive in there in detail. Coachingforleaders.com is where to go. Have a fabulous week and see you next week for our next conversation on leadership. Take care, everyone.